If you've been told to pull up your socks, then make sure it's a pair of TNT socks. The TNT shop is now open at tntradio.live. Thanks for being a part of the David Curtin Show on today's News Talk Radio. TNT. Hello and welcome to the David Curtin Show today here on today's News Talk TNT. I am your host, David Curtin. Now, two-tier policing has become an appalling and terrible fact of life in the UK and around Western civilization. I first became aware of this when I went to some freedom rallies against lockdowns in the COVID period, and I saw riot police charging against ordinary unarmed civilians and batoning them over the head. But the very next week, I went to observe a Black Lives Matter rally, and the police there, the same police force, the Metropolitan Police Force, were welcoming people, and I even got some police liaison officers to take a photograph with me because they thought I was one of the crowd in front of a bank of huge monster speakers. Clearly, there's two-tier policing going on. A disturbing thing has happened this week, also in London, in the suburb of Uxbridge, and that is some Christian preachers were approached and harassed and threatened by Metropolitan Police officers simply for standing there and giving the Christian message, which people have been allowed to do freely and openly in England since at least the time of Augustine of Canterbury in 596 AD, which was recorded, and probably for the whole of the last two millennia. What happened was somebody made a malicious complaint about these Christian preachers who were just giving the message on the streets of Uxbridge, saying that they were homophobic. The police then came and accused them of a hate crime and breaching the Public Order Act Section 4A, which says that you, they were using words or behavior which may have caused fear, alarm, or distress. They then explained to the officers that all that they were doing was speaking from the Bible, and they were speaking the most, perhaps the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That's the Christian message. Believe in Jesus, repent of your sins. He will save you from sin and hell and give you eternal life. Nothing homophobic about that at all. And yet they were threatened with a night in the cells and arrest if they didn't hand over their details. What is even more disturbing is that this happened in the very same place that another Christian preacher was actually arrested under the same malicious allegation three years ago. This happened to Pastor John Sherwood in April 2021. Have a look at this. Oh, 
That to me was absolutely appalling and shocking. And at the time, just three years ago, many, many people were appalled and shocked by that as well. This also, as I said, happened in Uxbridge in the very same street as the threatening of Christian preachers today in 2024. It seems the police have not learned anything, that they should not be engaging in two-tier policing, and they need to have basic common sense. People are now throwing out malicious accusations against Christians, against conservatives, against traditionalists, even people who are against the transgender ideology and hold to the true biological facts that there are two sexes, male and female. That is exactly what Pastor John Sherwood was arrested for three years ago. He was speaking from Genesis 1 and talking about his idea that marriage was a man and a woman. But it's not just an idea. This is the accepted definition of marriage in almost all countries in the world and almost all through all of history, except in uh, the last few years in this country. It's also the stated definition of marriage marriage in the Heritage Party Manifesto. So you have here someone being arrested and their free speech being taken away for holding to the traditional definition of marriage as stated in the Bible and as stated as a policy by a political party registered in the United Kingdom. Surely this is wrong and this has to stop. If it doesn't, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to Uxbridge myself, stand on a big soapbox and preach the Christian message just like Pastor John, Ger John Sherwood has done and just like the Christians who were threatened in Uxbridge this week. And if I'm accused of homophobia and the police come after me with malicious accusations and threats, well, let's see what happens. This is today's News Talk TNT. Keeping the commitment 24-7. I come to you for facts. I really appreciate what you and your team do. Today's News Talk Radio TNT. Welcome back to The David Curtin Show. This is today's News Talk TNT, and I'm joined by Gemma Cooper, our resident news expert and correspondent who's looking at all the hot stories today. Gemma, what have you found out? What is going on in the world today, uh, which we need to talk about? Well, it's interesting. I just want to make a little comment on the story that you've just raised, because this is a story that I raised as well yesterday here on TNT uh, with uh, Rickman uh, on on open, uh, locked and loaded, if I'm not mistaken. They, <laughs> I do so many shows here on TNT, but I did do this story. I covered this story yesterday because it was at the same time. In fact, it was Rick uh, Munn and Natalie Chill on Open Line. We discussed this story because it was at the same time we were discussing the fact that uh, the pro-Palestinian uh, protesters that were displaying images of paragliders and hang gliders on their on their clothes and on placards, um, but basically escaped a jail sentence, escaped kind of punishment in, in Westminster Magistrates Court earlier in the week, um, and and under the Terrorism Act, uh, and justice and policing seem to be going in the diametrically opposite uh, direction of the, of the way the public seemed to think it would go. And not only were those poor Christian 
preachers, uh, you know, approached by police. I mean, it all ended amicably, but not after quite a significant amount of uh, UK policing resources were dedicated to finding out what was going on. Also, it comes just a few, a couple of weeks after a gospel singer who was singing gospel Christian songs on Oxford Street, she was busking, um, was approached by five metropolitan police officers saying, oh, you can't sing church songs if you're not in a church, love which is completely incorrect, and Scotland Yard had to mm. apologise. But it's where policing is going, where the resourcing of policing is going in this country is in, into things like this. Suddenly there's a persecution of people wanting to express their religious and spiritual beliefs, which you're quite right, has been something enshrined in our country for you know almost millennia. Um, and, and policing is, is, is doubling down on, on and shutting them up. And at the same time, people are going through our court systems under the Terrorism Act of being found guilty and getting off with effectively without a sentence. Uh, it's not in the way of public opinion, I don't think. I think what you've just said is representative of a lot of people saying, how can this be happening in a Western Christian culture, which is what we are, whether you like it or not, that you know, England is a Western Christian culture. Um, so it's a very interesting talking point, one that has raised a lot of eyebrows. It's not the story I'm gonna talk about just now, but it's really, really good that you've highlighted it. And I would love to see you on the streets of Uxbridge, David. Let's <laughs> let's see what happens. Let's see. Well, let, let's <laughs> let's go there. Let's go there one Saturday and we'll we'll take some cameras and see what happens. And I'll just say exactly what those two pastors have said. Maybe I can sing some songs, although that might put people off. <laughs> rather than attract people uh, and we'll see what happens but you, you know you're absolutely right here and it, it seems christians are particularly being targeted perhaps in a way that muslims are not and they are being given a carte blanche almost to do what they like on the streets i remember back in the days of lockdown um where no one was supposed to gather the police were coming at freedom rallies but there were marches for ashura and Arbain, uh, up Edgware Road in uh, central London. The police were escorting 3,000 Shia Muslims during a period when no one was supposed to be on the street uh, to make sure that they were okay. Um, and at the very same time as they were harassing and arresting freedom protesters. But there you have here many, many stories of Christians being shut down, uh, harassed, threatened by the police. And in the case of the, the gospel singer in Oxford Street, um, not for doing anything wrong. The police officer that approached her was was absolutely in the wrong. Um, and there's also the cases of people that uh, uh, I know some of who have gone to silently pray outside abortion centres, and they have been arrested and fined for silent prayer on the public highway in England. Something has got to change with this. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely is out. It's it's out of step with with uh, with what people think. I mean, I think a lot of eyebrows have been raised about the court case in Westminster Magistrates Court about the protesters, where the you know the judge effectively said, yes, you have been found guilty under the UK Terrorism Act, but I'll give you a conditional discharge. Where conditional discharges mean. The, the, the offense isn't considered uh, serious at all. It just means behave yourself, slap on the wrist, don't do it again. Uh, this is the UK Terrorism Act. If you're found guilty under that, that's not a, a, a small minor offense. It's not, you're mm -hmm. not nicking a packet of sweets from the local corner shop. Um, so it is this disconnect between that judge is now, there's calls now for that judge to be investigated for that particular mm -hmm. um decision uh but yeah there is a, there is a kind of uh out of step out of kilter step and obviously you know i mean abortion is a very very polarizing and sensitive issue um and, and you know women i think a lot of women a lot of women not all don't take that decision lightly but it's it's about still freedom of expression that person that isn't necessarily praying to to, to stop 
women's making their own free will decisions, but that person has the right to pray. That person has the right to pray as much as the women might have have, have their own right over their own lives. It's it's about being able to express yourself without freedom of without fear rather of censure, and that's what's coming into play. It's the censure of one group over another. It, it, it's 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 a very tricky line which we are finding ourselves on now, and, and the police are, are obviously making their kind of maybe they're being trained in that way this is what i wonder what training they're coming under you know common purpose all those kind of things they come into play with the police force but to have five officers turn up for a gospel singer five five mm. and the public rounded on them they said go and find some real crime go and arrest some murderers and some rapists uh, and, and it was a bit of a standoff between the public and the police which i think is going to become increasingly more prevalent uh, as, the, as as trust between the public and the police in the uk has broken down irrevocably yeah, absolutely. I used to support the police and I never questioned that until 2020 when I saw them acting in a way which was against ordinary innocent citizens who weren't doing anything wrong. And uh, you know, I, I think that the, the vast majority of right thinking people in what you would call the silent majority are absolutely appalled uh, at the, what this is, what's going on here. I mean, I, I would on the abortion issue, I do have to say I am pro-life. Um, but I, I totally like you. Uh, I think we would agree that people should have the right to pray and express themselves. And, and I, I've seen people and I know groups that have been uh, years outside abortion centers offering help to mothers not to have an abortion, offering financial help, um, help with parenting and so on. And they've done a fantastic job and they've saved the lives of many, many children. Now they're banned. There's a blanket ban on anybody going within uh, what they call a buffer zone around abortion centers. And I think, you know, as you say, this is a very polarizing issue. Not everybody has the same opinion as me on this, but, you know, I would certainly always advocate for people's freedom of speech and freedom to offer help and freedom to pray silently on the streets of England. Um, but there we go. No, and I agree with you on that, David. I agree. I agree that there should be the right of the people to express their views outside abortion clinics. I do agree with you on that. I absolutely do. Uh, and it is this clampdown on any kind of dissent of what is considered an official narrative. And, you know, it, this, this is a subject you could probably do a whole hour on in itself mm. with different guests on all of the different kind of polarizing issues that free speech is being used as it, it's being classed as hate speech, isn't it? Free speech becomes hate speech. Where's that line? Um, yeah. Anyway, I, I, you know, I, I was here to bring a breaking story today. I'll, bring, I'll just do it very quickly because I know we're coming yes. up to the break. I'll try and be, bring a bit of humour to the end of our segment today. But um, it's our it's our it's our unelected foreign secretary, dodgy Dave Cameron. Um, mm. He's been he's been forced to kind of try and simmer down the tensions that he's created between us and and America with his comments uh, to U.S. Congress about you know give us the money. Give us give give the money for Ukraine. We need the money for Ukraine. If you don't fund Ukraine, you, it's, it's the same as appeasing Hitler in the 1930s. Very very emotive comments that he made yesterday in an article on the website called The Hill. Today he's in he's in Poland and he he's kind of backing tracking a bit. He's saying um, he's very sorry. He doesn't want to lecture the Americans on what they should be doing with their money. And then he goes into another diatribe about, please give us your money for Ukraine, please fund Ukraine. And this is all off the back, of course, of uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, the Republican saying, um, you know, you can kiss my ass, David Cameron, uh, her words, not mine. Uh, you can kiss my ass, David Cameron, if you think that, you know, you're going to change 
um, change uh, the 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 um, not Senate. It's the uh, House of Representatives mind because you've got all the Republicans who are like mm. Trump there saying we don't want to fund Ukraine when we want to look at the issues of border control in Texas. So today, after his inflammatory words yesterday using the word Hitler, uh, which hasn't gone down well at all in the United States. He's now saying, I'm not going to lecture you. Sorry, I love America. I love everything you stand for. But unfortunately, in the next breath, he has also said, but we, you know, we still need to fund Ukraine. So have a think about it. OK, chaps. I just think it's hilarious. He's not even elected in that position. And he's going around telling everyone else what to do. I think he still thinks he's the prime minister. I think that's his problem, old Dave there. Dodgy Dave. Gosh, he needs to get back in the bin, doesn't he, really? I mean, what what a thing to say. What an absolute like, load of rubbish to go to America and say all of these things. What about advocating for the UK? What about advocating for getting uh, more trade and, and more investment from America into the UK? He goes there, he's got that great opportunity, and he says, let's give more money to Ukraine. That, I mean, I'm sure that's gone down like a lead balloon, <laughs> quite rightly so. Anyway, Gemma, thank you so much for coming on the show uh, today and bringing that story and uh, it's good to understand that we're all on the same page i think and we can see through the nonsense that continues to happen this is tnt today's news talk tnt's pervoy morich he details factually how russia is rolling out the algorithm ghetto um you know the the, the multipolar edition of the algorithm ghetto a prototype of a traffic light that records traffic violations by a pedestrian at a crossing was tested in Moscow. So Russians now, they'll they'll have a, the government will take a snapshot of their face and then run that through the databases to figure out who is who and then find them, uh, I suppose. Uh, and then, you know, he, he points out that there are a lot of developments now. Moscow 2030, it's, it's uh, they want to make uh, Moscow achieve smart city status uh and there's just you know you, you look at the white papers moscow and russia are all in on agenda 2030 smart cities algorithm ghetto digital ids pervoy morich on today's news talk tnt TNT Radio Live. Today's News Talk Radio. TNT. Hello and welcome back to the David Curtin Show. I'm your host, David Curtin, and this is today's News Talk TNT. I am delighted to have with me the one and only Matt Letizier. Welcome to the show, Matt. Thanks for so much for coming on. It's my pleasure, David. It's only right that I should return the compliment after you came on my Getter channel not long ago. I, I remember that. I had a really good chat to you for an hour. It was so good to come on uh, on the channel there and talk to you. But we have so much in common. I think we would agree on, on so much of what's happening uh, in the world, in the country, with the craziness, of, particularly of what's been happening with lockdowns and injections and so on. You've been very, very mm. outspoken. And you've been at rallies for um, injection uh, injured people. And I call them injections. I call them experimental yeah. injections. I don't call them vaccines because they're not. Um, what, why did you get involved in speaking up for people who are um, injured by these injections? 
Um, I think mainly because I can see the injustice of what's going on. Um, I don't know what's happened to my eyes. Sorry, <laughs> got a watery eye. Um, I was horrified really by the government's reaction to mm. um, actually coercing people so badly into taking these vaccines that um, when these people got injured and the government just turned their back on them, uh, I, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I really couldn't. Uh, the least that the government could do after heavily coercing people into taking these things is to give them some support if they are in fact injured by them. Yeah, and there, there is some kind of small compensation scheme where uh, if you apply to it and you jump through all kinds of hoops, you might get £120,000. But I mean, do, do you think that's enough for people who have been uh, completely, well, they've completely had their lives changed by um, injection injuries? Well, well, point number one, it's certainly not enough uh, compensation for somebody's life being ruined. Um, secondly, I think about 97, 98% of all claims get rejected because mm. apparently you have to meet a threshold which says you're more than 60% um, disabled, which, wow. uh, you know, how, who who's the arbiter of that? I mean, who chooses what is 60% of you know, uh, of damage to your rest of your life. I mean, it's it's crazy, really. Uh, and the second thing for me, which is which is almost as important, is that that money that they are paid, that comes out of the taxpayers' coffers. That doesn't come out of the pharmaceutical industry's billions of pounds of profit that they've made from injecting this thing into people. That comes from our money. And for me, that's, that's just not right. I, I think the indemnity that the pharmaceutical companies have need to be taken away as soon as possible and maybe they'll be a little bit more careful with their products in the future yeah i absolutely agree with you totally agree with you i i don't know who put in place this indemnity for big pharma companies just for vaccines so uh normal medicines they're not indemnified but vaccines they are and mm. uh, the the government agencies approve them and then uh you've got these things injected into 50 million people approximately in the uk but you know, billions of people around the world and you know it's it's not just you know we don't just have people that are injured by this we have people who have died from this and you know what one thing i see um that is happening that didn't happen before is you you're seeing an awful lot of athletes um dying from heart disease and so on and, and it, to me it looks like there's a huge increase in this happening but you would get mainstream media outlets saying oh no no that's just a conspiracy theory it's the same level <laughs> as before but what do you think about this because you, you know this is your field yeah, I think it's absolute nonsense, uh, quite frankly. I think they're gaslighting people all over the place. Uh, to tell to tell us that these things have always happened uh, is a half-truth at best um, because, yes, occasionally these things have happened and nobody is denying that. Nobody is saying nobody ever collapsed on a football pitch before um, these vaccines came along. But what I'm saying is, since the vaccines have come along, the number of people that it's happened to has increased. And I, I, I see that with my own eyes and how other people don't see it is just, uh, it's just beyond me. I mean, the things that happened in the past were so memorable that you can remember the names of the people that it happened to. So you had Mark Vivian Foe, you had uh, Fabrice Mwamba, but you tried to, to name a, a whole load more people after those two in the last 40 years uh, and you'd be struggling. Um, and I'm sorry, people who are saying that uh, this, is, this has always happened in these kind of numbers and, and not being truthful with anybody.
Yeah, I, I have some numbers here. Now, this is from Peter McCulloch, and he wrote a letter to the Journal of Scandinavian Immunology at the end of 2022. He was looking at data um, just from the previous two years, from 2021, 2022. And, and he said that pre-2021, looking into analysis of um, cardiac arrests in European football leagues, there was a, an average of 29 per year over the whole of Europe. And that's not people who've died, it's just people who've yeah. had cardiac arrests. But that increased to 800 per year in 2021 and 2022. So by his analysis, that's a 27 times uh, rise uh, post-vaccine and pre-vaccine. Again, I'm I'm using that language again. They flooded it in my head. <laughs> injection. Post-injection. Post yeah. Gene therapy, I think you call it. Gene therapy. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, have you, have you heard anything like those numbers? Because that really is quite I, astounding. I, it is astounding, and, and it doesn't surprise me, you know, given just what I was seeing with my own eyes on the television uh, and, and reading through um, news reports. So um, it, it's not surprising. The only surprising thing is that there's been so little um, notice taken of it by the authorities themselves. So the FA and, and the PFA and FIFA, all these organisations that profess to have the footballers' best interests at heart, None of them seem too concerned at the numbers of people that were doing this. And that's why I've, for the last couple of years, I've been calling for an investigation into this to, to understand why there was a rise. Because, you know, if you don't have an investigation, nobody can, can conclusively prove what it is that's doing it. And so, you know, there may be a school of thought that says, oh, it might be people that have had COVID and this is the leftover reaction to COVID and that's what's making it happen. Or is it the injections? So... There's two schools of thought. So why not have an investigation to find out which one it is? And the only reason you don't have an investigation, the only reason why you wouldn't want an investigation is because you already know what it is and you don't want everybody else knowing. I think that sounds absolutely like what's going on. There's no reason not to investigate anything like this in, in any other area. People will be on this straight away saying, look, well, we need to find out what's going on. Uh, but we, in here, that hasn't been there. Yeah, sorry, David. We, we know that myocarditis and pericarditis are all side effects uh, of the injections. Uh, we know yeah. that. That's you know that's not contested anywhere whatsoever. Um, and the fact that these young, fit, healthy athletes are the ones that you know are really pushing their bodies to the limits and testing themselves—that's when these things are going to are going to show up. So this is a, a for me, this is a community of people that are in an area very vulnerable because they are the ones that are pushing themselves to limits where the heart is at its, you know, working its hardest. Um, and so there should be an investigation taking place. That's that's all I've been calling for for the last couple of years. And because of that, um, of course, I get labelled a conspiracy theorist, Yeah, uh, <laughs> which is just almost wearing that as a, as a badge of honour these days. I know, me too. Look, we're going to have to take a break now and uh, we'll be back in a couple of minutes. This is today's News Talk TNT. TNT Radio News. For TNT, this is James O'Neill. House Intelligence Committee Chairman Mike Turner has alerted Congress to a serious national security threat, urging President Joe Biden to declassify information pertaining to this threat to allow for open discussion among Congress, the administration, and allies on how to address it. NATO has seen unprecedented increases in defense spending among its members, with 18 out of 31 states expected to meet the alliance's requirement to spend 2% of GDP on defense this year. 
We're the pinup boys and poster girls for free speech. We just don't look as impressive as Vladimir Putin shirtless on a horse. Yeah. 24 7, 365. We never stop sifting fact from fiction, misinformation from the truth. From government overreach to the latest on mandates, big tech censorship to propaganda gone mad. Listen to TNT Radio and get the news and views direct from our expert presenters and commentators anywhere you go. Ask Alexa or Google to play TNT Radio or download the TNT Radio app for free from the App Store or Google Play. Today's news talk this is TNT Radio. Welcome back. This is the David Curtin Show on today's News Talk TNT. Now, I have with me my fantastic guest, Matt Letizier, uh, former Southampton and England footballer, um, but is taking a, a great stand against um, the vaccine injuries and for people who have been injured by vaccines. Now, there was uh, on national television earlier this week uh, quite a scene with someone that I know you appeared on a stage with, who is John Watt, uh, an activist who's been injured by um, vaccines himself. And he uh, was on a, a panel show with the Prime Minister, Rishi Sunak. And I think a lot of us have seen that and they've seen him absolutely blast into Rishi Sunak. And he didn't seem to have any kind of decent answer uh, about what was going on there. I mean, what, what do you think of Rishi Sunak and his, um, his answer to John Watt uh, on national television and his general um, stance on these things? Um, where do I start? Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think, I think, on the evening, I think uh, Rishi looked slightly perturbed. I'm not sure he was expecting that question. I'm not sure that was the question that John thought that the producers were going to be asking of the Prime Minister. Um, and I think it took him a little off guard and uh, he, he looked a little bit like a rabbit in the headlights and didn't really have a uh, an answer, you know, oh, we'll take your details and we'll see if we can, you know. And as for saying that the, uh, the vaccine injured have been silenced and not knowing about it, Oh my goodness, that is such a, a barefaced lie. Um, just incredible that somebody can be uh, that dumb to not realize that if you talk about a vaccine injury, you are demonized all over social media. You're never given a platform on the mainstream media in mm -hmm. any way, shape, or form. So um, I felt like it was very disingenuous, uh, Rishi Sunak. And uh, let's be honest, he's in a position there where he's been placed there. He hasn't been, he hasn't been voted into that position. Um, he's there to implement uh, other people's orders. Uh, he's mm. not the one making decisions. I think we can all pretty much see that for ourselves. Yeah, and just a few weeks earlier, he was still touting the line that they were safe and effective when, you know, anyone with any kind of small amount of scientific knowledge could tell that you cannot say that they are safe because there's no long-term safety data at all on these things. No, and that was um, that was my original point back way back in you know 2020 when when they were talking about bringing these vaccines. Now it's a miracle they've been sorted out a vaccine in nine months, and uh, I was like, uh, uh, hang on a minute, <laughs> how do you know what the long term safety data is if you've just done this in nine months? Well, a simple answer to that: you don't. So there is no yeah. way you could tell anybody that it was safe and effective and not be lying because you had no idea what the long-term consequences were. So anybody who trotted out the line, it's safe and effective, has no idea and was lying because nobody knows long-term what these things can do to your health. It's impossible. Mm. Yeah, that's quite right. You know, absolutely. You've mentioned also... Um, 
you commented in some, you know, some political things, things that you would like to see as policies uh, in in a party coming up and and things that to be implemented in Parliament. I mean, some people in what we would call the freedom movement would say, well politics there's no point in getting involved because you know they're all the same it's rigged you're never going to change anything but i mean i take the view that you know we should still get involved in politics because we have to try and change these things and boot out the people that are there now however hard it is but what's your view of getting involved in politics should people do that do you think you know people should be involved in get involved in the political parties a new political party or try to do something different uh, I think the problem is to to um, really enact major change. It, it would take a massive effort, first and foremost, and it would take a long, long time. Mm. I think those two things are things that people don't have the patience for uh, at the moment. And that's why I think a lot of people think that, you know, this the current system just needs to be disbanded and we need to find a different way, you know, even that be a direct democracy, uh, proportional representation, whatever it is. Um, but certainly the, the two-party system is certainly not working uh, in this country. Uh, it is two cheeks of the same backside, unfortunately. Um, and, you know, the opposition has, hasn't really been an opposition, has it, let's be honest. Um, we, had, we had one party telling us that they were going to lock us down, and we had the other party um, who, who wanted to lock us down even harder. So I'm not sure where, where opposition comes into that exactly. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I'm not sure that I'm... Uh, particularly in favour of the, the current system. And it would be an incredibly long and arduous task to get enough people in at lower levels of government uh, and build from there before uh, enacting a real change at the top. Yeah, it, it is hard. Um, I, I take the view that it's worth doing, however hard it is, however long it takes. We've got to try in this yep. system because this is, this is the system we, we've got. But I do totally agree with you. I would like to see proportional representation, which you do have in most other countries around the world, except apart from you know the UK, the USA, a couple of others. Um, uh, and then that would give challenger parties like mine the opportunity to get a few people in Parliament, and then we could start building up and and challenging things and that would uh, make things easier and quicker to change um, maybe there was so a lot that's... of talk there was a lot of talk a while back about all the the smaller freedom loving parties um you know coming together to, to and not splitting the vote quite so much did, did anything come of that as is there any progress on that front were you involved in that at all yeah, look, I, a lot of people have brought that idea to me. People say that to me all the time. But, it, you know, when people say that, I ask, well, what, what parties do you mean? And, um, you know, people often say reform, which at the moment is the, the challenger party that's getting the most media exposure. But, you know, the, I they pushed for no jab, no job regulations. They're pushing for more war in Ukraine. They're you know they're not calling for a ceasefire in gaza so for me we have very very significant differences between the heritage party and reform uh, yeah. and they're not interested in working with us anyway uh mm. their idea is they're going to be the dominant brand they don't need to work with anybody and you know that's that so that that mm. isn't really going anywhere unfortunately so as they, far they as appear i appear to me to be a, a gatekeeping party is what mm. it appears to me yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, Tice was uh, a Tory donor. You know, he he actually uh, was on the long list for the London mayor 
a candidate for the Conservative Party. I think it was back in 2016 um, before he left and started the Brexit Party and then then reformed. So, you know, I, I think you're absolutely right there. So um, it's, it's a nice idea that people have. But, you know, I'm just focused on building the Heritage Party. I've written the full Good manifesto man. and uh, we're doing the best we can. It's challenging. No, absolutely. We have to try. <laughs> no, I remember speaking to you about it. And then uh, I have to say it's probably the, one of the best manifestos that, uh, that I've read in terms of uh, common sense and putting people first and people in this country first. Absolutely. Thanks. That's what we want to do. Um, Matt, it's so good to have you on the show. I wish I could talk to you for longer, but that's all we got time for today. Thank you so much for joining me. This is uh, today's News Talk TNT. With his expert analysis and opinion, this is TNT Radio's Timothy Shea. Oh, no. Could the squad soon be a thing of the past? Well, based on the hot water that Democrat representatives Corey Bush from Missouri and Ilhan Omar, her brother's wife from Minnesota, are in. All signs point to yes. Outcome likely. What am I talking about? Well, according to Representative Byron Donalds of Florida, Corey Bush has diverted campaign funds into some questionable security expenses. And Omar was filmed in Somalia saying she's Somalian first and Muslim second didn't seem to be a mention of the United States or her oath of office to the Constitution in there. The sooner we're well shot of these people, the better. They're clearly here based on intersectionality, not intellect, and nothing will become them so much as they're leaving. From MAGAinstitute.com, this is Timothy Shea for today's News Talk TNT. You are loved. You are valued. You are resilient. You got this. You are there for them. We are here for you. Find free care guides at aarp.org slash caregivers. Discussing pressing issues. David Curtin. David Curtin on today's News Talk TNT. Welcome back to the David Curtin Show. This is today's News Talk TNT, and I'm your host, David Curtin. Now, I have to declare my next guest is someone that I know from the Heritage Party. Please welcome to the show Madeline Hunt, who is the General Secretary of the Heritage Party and an expert in local government and devolution. Madeline, welcome to the show. Hello, David. It's very nice to be here. Thank you very much for having me on the show. It's really a pleasure. Now, it's lovely to have you on the show. I mean, I, I talk to you too very often, but you know so much about what's going on because you look into a lot of the documentation which is coming out from the government about you know the, the devolution agenda, the leveling up agenda, what you call the global to local agenda. I think a lot of people watching understand what Agenda 2030 is. They understand the World Economic Forum. They understand the 17 Sustainable Development Goals and how they're impinging on our lives. But you understand the mechanism of how they're being implemented. So can you tell us you know, the, the most important things that are happening in the UK at the moment, which will be relevant to other countries as well, about how these things are being implemented through devolution? 
I think we will have to go back years, really, to, to explain everything, because devolution started many, many years ago. And since we have a COVID, it, that was speeded up and people recognized this as an agenda. But in fact, devolution was implemented on, of, on us for many, many years, especially when we've been part of the EU. And if we think about devolution, I asked the question so many times. I asked the question pe people around, and I said, do you know what this word means? And the answer is usually not really. But, you know, if you just check the meaning of the word, is uh, going back. It's not really evolving, but devolving. So that's mean not progressing, but just going back. So from the country, which was really prosperous and was have nice democracy, if we can just try try to explain this the easiest way, we're going back to the country who just doesn't know how to how to deal with economic and democracy. So practically, they just going to the point zero, only to imp implement new system. The reason why I am more aware probably than everyone else about the system, because you, you know, and many people know that uh, I, I came back uh, to live in the UK in 80s, and I originally live in Poland. I grew up in Poland. I left Poland when I was a young, young girl, and I was fighting in Polish solidarity. And we, in fact, was fighting against the devolution. That was nothing else but exactly the same system to the point when we, we had the same regulation, the same restriction, the, the same uh, censorship, very, really, really, very much the same. To the even the lockdown, we actually have this in Poland as a, as called the civil war, the martial law. But it was very much the same. What we had the lockdown that was exactly exactly the same restriction. As you said, I am following the updates on the devolution every day. Um, I've, I've trying to update myself with any kind of regulation what the government is the, introducing to the to the council, or let's say the councils introduce this to the government, because that's another thing what the what our nation doesn't really understand. Uh, everyone blames the central government for everything, but the progress of implementing any kind of regulation it's really really long, and. Why are we calling this global to local agenda? Because uh, every single uh, local government is strictly connected to the NGOs and uh, stakeholders, investors, and it's worse and worse every day because they they calling this leveling up, and leveling up is exactly the socialist system what we had in Poland when they was trying to level everything, or put everyone on the same level. And the the changes what coming at the moment are really drastic and it's that, that they are really fast. And for example, people are not aware what is going on in the councils, how the council functions, and the changes which are was done recently. Nobody was consulted about that, which is really strange because uh, by any kind of regulation that we should be consulted about any changes in the system. This is the first main thing. If anyone wanna, if the government wanna change system, your local system, they need to ask the resident if they wanna be run by a new system. But nobody was never consulted. So people don't know what devolution is. People don't know what the leveling up is. However, this is uh, leveling up and devolution is introduced to people in different way by the proposal, which are actually hidden under the system. So the proposal will include Closing the traffic, getting rid of the cars, uh, demolishing mm. historic buildings, uh, changing the education system locally, having influence on the social care, 
all the Sphinx is actually regulated by the uh, devolution. Now, the mo the most important thing. I'm sorry, I'm just I am just talking and talking. <laughs> yeah, but I just want to say the most important thing about devolution, as I said, the meaning is getting going back, but the political meaning of the devolution is the transfer of funds and power from the central government to the local author authorities to the local governments. You can see this happening especially from the moment when we had a corona because the power was completely handled to the hands of the of the local governments and since then the power never was taken back but actually was giving them more and more and more i'm trying to summarize everything but it's just so much to say trust me is it's yeah. the, the amount of changes is just overwhelming we can go through the bankruptcy we can go through the billions which was spent in past three years but I can just you, talk about strategies. Yeah, you've said a lot of things that I think many people don't even know and they're not aware of because you have these words, devolution and leveling up, and they're presented in such a way as, as though they're good things if you don't question them. And devolution, I think most people understand by that localism. Like you say, power is going from the central government to local governments. Therefore, people have more say on what goes on in their local areas. But actually, the opposite is happening because at the same time, there are changes happening to the system and the structure, which means that democracy is being taken away uh, at a local level, as well as money flowing to local governments. I mean, I, well, one thing, obviously, I'm experienced in London. I was on the London Assembly, and you have the mayor there. Sadiq Khan has been the mayor of London for eight years. It's been appalling um, for London. But what they're doing now is they're trying to introduce the same kind of system around all the counties of England. So England is going to be split up into 40 different areas. Each one is going to have their own little Sadiq Khan. And there's not much you can do to get to, to get rid of them or, or to actually get your own person in because the fee to enter the elections will be 5,000 or 10,000 pounds. So normal people will not even be able to stand to be the mayor of Cornwall, the mayor of Yorkshire, the mayor of... Suffolk or whatever it is, uh, and then you'll have this person in who has complete control and authority over lots of areas, which at the moment are governed by Westminster, but are going to go into the hands of some uh, new apparatchik. Is that a fair assessment or is there more to it? It is very fair assessment, but I think it's more and more. You know, they yeah. recently in introduced the... the uh, community boards they're calling this community boards so again to just cut the story short at the moment 60 percent of uk is under the devolution system already uh, so that is really worrying 55 uh, councils signed under the community board so as you said it really sounds wonderful because it sounds like this is the the people power kind of government but we have to remember that the communist system based on the people power government so this is a fake fake communities running the, the 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 system so what they're going to do with the boards they go they going to replace elected councillors they are no more election no election what we know this will be very strictly control election they're going to uh, replace uh, the councillors with the 
community boards. So the community boards sound wonderful. That's mean that would be some people from particular area of our our life that's supposed to be. So we should have one philanthropist, apparently one policeman. Uh, uh, I mm. don't even remember the list, but it's just ridiculous. But mm. the, the the thing is, doesn't matter how nice it sounds. Those people are already chosen. Those people are coming from selected communities. Communities doesn't mean us. Communities doesn't mean the proper single individual resident. They are already selected communities. And these people already collaborate with the councils. And the funny thing is because your, your question straight away, like mm, if they want to replace the councillors, the councillors wouldn't be happy with that, obviously. But actually, they would be very happy because, you know, they are already the people who sitting as a as a chair or any kind of they have any other function in the selected communities. So practically, they will be more powerful because they will be going back to their council, not as a councillors, but as a member of the particular community. So, so that would right. be the same people, but under different system with more power. Okay. So the, the, this is a, a, a completely new system. I've read this document about town boards that are being introduced to 55 towns initially around England. But obviously, I think the idea down the line is that they will be rolled out everywhere in every community, if mm -hmm. you like. And, and this is another word. You see, community, it sounds good. It sounds like a positive word. But actually, what the deep state means by this word is completely different to what people would understand by the word. So it's actually about giving power to selected communities, whether that's the climate alarmist community, the LGBT community, the local lodge or you know, whatever. And they're the people that are going to sit on the town boards, but they won't be elected. So you have no say over who actually is on those boards. At least at the moment, you can elect your councillors. Uh, in it, it's very difficult. I, I mean, the thing that's disappointing to me is not more people get involved. I mean, we, we do have, obviously, in the Heritage Party, some fantastic people who've got involved. They've actually become councillors themselves. But we, we need more than a dozen people. We need thousands of people to get involved and take power. Uh, you know, right now, Otherwise, it's going to be too late. Um, what do you think about this? Is is it worth getting involved in local government? Is is it still possible to stop this communitarian system from being implemented, or or is it too late? I absolutely think this is necessary. This is a must to get involved because, as you said, we're not going to have a chance anymore. And uh, the scary thing is, you know, if if anyone know the history and uh, know a little bit about the, the East Europe, it took forty years in Poland for people to finally dismantle the system. And they they always knew it's wrong. They always they've been always trying, but basically in this system is impossible. So whatever we, we have left from our democracy, we should really use this now for our benefit. And the, the, the best way to do it is joining our party, heritage party, and you know just put the power together against the agenda because it doesn't look great. And trust me, every day when I'm re reading the reports, it's more and more depressing because it's, it's more coming still what we don't really want to see happening so 
it's unavoidable at the moment. So definitely, if 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 that if there is any chance for a co-option in in some local area for a by-election, everyone should try to stand up as a candidate. Candidate. I want to say something about the independent candidates because people are so scared of politics at the moment, which is again part of the agenda. They want us to be scared of politics because if we are not involved in politics, that's mean we don't have influence over the politics at all. So this is the best way. Just put people away from politics and do whatever you want. So in regards to independence, uh, it's if anyone want to vote for an independent candidate, candidate, you need to make sure that you know the person well, because the independent candidate candidates become very dependent the moment when they join the council. So, yeah, absolutely, you, you you're right, and I've seen people. Uh, this is a strategy that I've heard of. You you have these four parties in England, and you know, obviously all around the UK. Tory, Labour, Lib Dem, Green, they're all the same. They've all got the same policies now, but they know this and they know that they're increasingly unpopular. So what they do is someone leaves and they, they're they actually still in one of these parties, but they stand as an independent. They get elected as, as an independent, but they're actually really still a member of the Tory party or the Green party or the Labour party, whatever. And they're just part of the blob. So you need to know if you've got an independent candidate that they actually are genuinely independent and not part of the establishment system, you know, which is, you know, that you're getting that with with the Heritage Party, sure. But um, the, the practical outworking of this is something that you mentioned, you know, towards the beginning of the session is that these things are happening. But what this practically is going to mean is restrictions on traffic, 15-minute cities, more surveillance, perhaps uh, more lockdowns, the gantries that they're putting up for um, traffic to be controlled may be used in future for future lockdowns. And also, appallingly, what they do is that they let old buildings go derelict and then they say, oh, well, we need to knock them down because they're dangerous and they don't fulfill our climate um, regulations and uh, energy regulations anymore. Um, we've just got a couple of minutes left, uh, one minute left. But I mean, what are those the things that you see um, being implemented uh, in councils around the country? I think it's more, David, because everything what we actually seeing with the farming industry, with with any kind of businesses, they they want to practically destroy, and this is all in the hands of the council. Any kind of regulation, it's happening in the council. Then go to the to the House of Parliament, and then is debate of that on this. So everything what we see, that's the local government. Yeah. It's so important to get involved in local government because it is government. It's not just Westminster. And, and you know, you, you stood recently in an election and there was a turnout of 11 percent, uh, which means yeah. that 89 percent of people didn't bother to vote. If, if we have that, we're just going to keep on getting what we've always got. So in my plea to you, and I'm sure Madeline would agree with this, is get involved in politics. At the very least, vote. Uh, if you can, join a political party that you know is going to be on the side of the people. My one is good. <laughs> and uh, you can then be a candidate, 
get involved, make the change that we need to see in this country. Because if we don't get involved and we don't make the change, we're just going to keep on getting the same old, same old that we've always got. And uh, things are just going to get worse. If you want to save your historic buildings, if you want to keep using your cars, if you want to save our farmers, if we don't want uh, more development and more mass rapid immigration, you need to get involved in politics. So please come and join me and make that change that we need. Be the change you want to see in the world. Everybody, thank you so much for joining me today on The David Curtin Show. This is me, David Curtin, on today's News Talk TNT. See you again tomorrow.